Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. get into a uh, Thursday show here on the Davos show. J.R. Davis cannot be with us this first hour, but that doesn't mean that uh, content doesn't continue here on the Dave Ellswick show. Came across an interesting article that I thought that would make, um, take some time to talk about. About 25 minutes we got for this. And Matt Walsh is going to join us. He's got a brand new book out right now about the church and how the church is, uh, you know, just not dealing with a lot of the things that are going on uh, in culture. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I, I don't know exactly why that is. And so maybe Matt can kind of throw some light on that. So let's get Mr. Walsh on. How you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, tell us a little bit. You got a book out and this book basically says it from what I can tell is that the church is being very negligent in its duties with its, uh, with its people. Uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I want to use this to move into what we're going to talk about specifically. Yeah, that's right. I think the church has been for uh, many decades now, it's been extremely reluctant to engage, especially on moral, on moral issues to engage the culture uh, to speak to you know the the moral degradation in the culture and and to call the congregations to you know, things like discipline, obedience, sacrifice, um, virtue. You know, the, I, I think these have been replaced with uh, the sort of soft style, the, uh, the version of Christianity that's that's uh, watered down and that's focused more on making our lives comfortable and being accepting and tolerant and all these sorts of things. And I just think that's led us uh, down the wrong path, and that's what the book is about. Okay, so Church of Cowards is the name of the new book, a wake-up call to complacent Christians. And uh, we talk about this uh, on on the show. I mean, on Tuesdays, we've got the Bible guys on. We we specifically uh, talk about some of the things that you mentioned uh, in your book, and then we're going to get specifically into Pornhub, because Pornhub on the Internet it gets billions and billions of hits a year. I mean, they they are the most sought out website, if, if I'm not mistaken, on on the internet. Is that not true? Well, they're certainly they're they're certainly up there. I mean, they they get literally literally billions of hours. People across the world spend billions of hours a year watching videos on Pornhub, and Pornhub is proud of that fact, and and they they advertise it every year. They give us their annual breakdown of the amount of time spent in number of videos watched top search terms and everything else. 
And it's uh, it, it really is it's a remarkable amount of time that the world collectively whittles away on this uh, filthy site. Yeah, and you've got a situation where it's you know I'm not I'm I'm a real big First Amendment guy, but you know we uh, we make laws that tell kids they can't drink, they can't smoke, things of that nature. It seems to me there should be at least some kind of laws in place for a, a, a site like Pornhub that says you can't let children into your site. Yeah, I think that would make the, that that obviously makes the most sense as it stands right now and anybody can go on the site. There's no age restrictions whatsoever. Oh yeah, I want you uh, to there's no repeat that for my listeners. There's what? There's no age there's no age restriction on the site Incredible. whatsoever. Uh so you, anyone, you know, an eight-year-old child could just stumble upon it and start flipping through the, the videos, browsing through the videos, and, and that does happen. I, I, depending on where you look, what statistics you look at, there are some stats that say that children as young as eight now are exposed to porn, so uh, sometimes even younger than that. So um, this, this is really is happening. It's a, it's a huge problem, the psychological and emotional trauma kids experience at that age, as we can imagine, being exposed to that sort of thing. And then when you compare Pornhub to other kinds of sites that do have age restrictions, for, for example, if you want to go on a gambling site or if you want to go on a stock trading site, um, then you have to many times provide a, an ID, a, a, a picture of your driver's license. I mean, even to go on a, you know, Budweiser.com, even to go on a, a site, an alcohol site, there's usually going to be, at least be some attempt made to keep you off if you're not um, if you're under the age of 21, but Pornhub doesn't even do that. They do nothing whatsoever. They just let everybody on. Well, you got that problem, and then the other thing that we have with Pornhub, in correct me if I'm wrong, in the pornography industry, they have age restrictions. Yet Pornhub doesn't have. They don't check to make sure the actresses or actors within uh, the videos that are on their site meet those requirements right they anybody can upload hardcore porn to Pornhub um, and and millions of people do and of course they'll say in their terms of conditions if you go and read the fine print they'll say that every all the all the quote performers in the videos have to be uh, over the age of 18 and they all have to be consensual so they say that but then they don't really do anything to actually enforce that so what it's what ends up happening and I talk about in the article I wrote in Daily Wire uh, some some really horrific cases of of girls that were uh, got caught up in sex trafficking and were raped on camera, and then those videos, so, sometimes dozens of them, end up on Pornhub, get hundreds of thousands of views, and they just stay there because Pornhub makes no real attempt to weed that stuff out, even though they could. I mean, there are some really basic and relatively easy things they could do to get rid of a lot of this stuff, yet they don't they don't do it. Also, keep in mind that. I said the search terms, you know, one of the most popular search terms on Pornhub is, is teen, you know, teenagers. And Pornhub is proud of that. They advertise that fact. Well, so you've got people going on the site looking for teens. Uh, and most teenagers are under the age of 18. You know, you only have two years left of teenager once you get to 18. So that category of the site, there's going to be a lot of underage stuff there. Um, and so Pornhub could go in and start cleaning a lot of that stuff out, and they don't. How much of, uh, you know, the dealing uh, with women who are being 
you know, sexual slaves and things of that nature, how often are they used uh, in these videos? Well, I don't think there's any way to say exactly how often it happens or how many there is exactly, because, again, if we're talking about billions of hours of footage that's on this site. So there's just so much of it. Uh, but that's exactly the problem, that, that it's just they've, they've created this platform. Anyone can come and upload hardcore pornography. Anybody can come and watch it. There's no controls in place. And so we all know what's going to happen. It's inevitable that you're going to end up with many, many, who knows how many uh, videos of, of, uh, of underage people, people that are, you know, in, in non, that are not consensually being filmed and, and all sorts of other things. And it just doesn't make any sense to me um, why we would al- allow this. Why aren't there laws in place forcing Pornhub to put age restrictions on the site, to, tr- to make some attempt to keep kids off of it, just like we have laws if you go to the liquor store. You know, if an eight-year-old goes to the liquor store and buys a can of, uh, you know, buys a bottle of beer or buys some wine, the, the, the person behind the cash register that sold that liquor to the eight-year-old is going to be in trouble with the law. And I think we all agree they ought to be because, of course, that's, you know, you're going to be responsible for that if you choose to give a product like that to an eight-year-old. Um, yet for Pornhub, they can open up their doors to eight-year-olds and there's no penalty whatsoever. Yeah, Matt Walsh is our guest. You'll read his columns uh, on the uh, the Daily Wire dot com. Uh, ben has done a great job of putting the Daily Wire together, and I'm glad he added uh, Matt to his his uh, stable of writers uh, for this website. Because Matt, you do a very good job. I appreciate what you do. We've used several of your articles on the on the air. Rape themed. Uh, you know, videos are big on Pornhub, aren't they? Yeah, this is something that, in, in fact, uh, I talk about in the article, one of the examples, one of the stories of a woman who was raped uh, at, at the age of 14. Her videos end up on the site. And the titles of the videos, I'm not going to say what the titles are, but no. the titles of the video, the titles of the videos clearly indicated that this was rape without actually using the word. So, but they were ad- the, the videos were advertised as essentially teenager being raped, and um, and so that again shows how if you're if the videos are advertised that way on the platform, Pornhub could do keyword searches, uh, have algorithms in place to to weed that stuff out very easily. Yet they don't do it. The woman also says that she contacted Pornhub multiple times, pleading with them to take the stuff down. They didn't, and they only took it down. When uh, when she finally messaged the final time, pretending to be a lawyer, and that's when they took it down and finally responded. So, but of course, I mean, this is what we would expect, right? These are purveyors of filth. These are smut peddlers, and so they don't have any ethical or moral qualms whatsoever. All they care about is the money that they bring in, which is why you know we can't rely on them to be responsible. Obviously, which is why I think we need some regulations in place. Um, yeah, another thing about Pornhub to keep in mind is that they, they also market themselves pretty explicitly to children. You look at some of the social media marketing they do, uh, it's pretty clear that they're targeting the under 18, they're targeting high schoolers and middle schoolers with their marketing. And that's just something cigarette companies and alcohol companies, they, they couldn't get away with that anymore. Maybe there was a time when they could, but these days they, they couldn't possibly get away with doing an Instagram uh, ad explicitly marketing themselves to high schoolers, yet Pornhub is allowed to. And I, I, that, to me, that makes no sense. Matt Walsh is our guest. we got to get a break in, get your traffic for you. 
Uh, we're looking at 54 degrees, a possible high today of uh, 74 degrees. Woo! We're getting to warmer weather. That's about uh, that's that's really good uh, news for us right here in Central Arkansas. It's a Dave Ellswick show. We'll come back with Matt. Uh, we're going to ask Matt what he thinks we should do to make this a little tighter or a lot more tighter, in fact, for kids to be getting on these sites. We'll talk about that when we return. The Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM. The answer, of course, the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. The new book is called Church of Cowards, A Wake-Up Call to Complacent Christians. The op-ed is dealing with Pornhub, Pornhub exposing millions of kids to hardcore porn, and they aren't required to verify ages, and they should be. Uh, Matt Walsh is our guest. You can read him on the dailywire.com. That's Ben Shapiro's website, great uh, website. You get real good conservative views there, I'll guarantee it. So, Matt, what 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 are you suggesting? I mean, you're not asking for the government to become draconian and making it, you know, crazy and getting rid of everything and, and whatnot. Explain to the listeners what you suggest. I think in, in the case of, of Pornhub um, and, and, and sites like it, you know, focusing on Pornhub just because it's the biggest among the porn sites. But there are really basic regulations that, when I say could be passed or put in place, these are regulations that are, that already exist. It's just that we don't apply them to porn up for some reason. We've decided that the porn sites get to be exceptions. And I'm saying that let's not allow them to be exceptions. There's no reason why they should be. Every other company or industry you can think of that, that supplies products that are unsuitable for, for children, we have regulations saying, well, you've got to verify, make some attempt to verify the age of, of your customer before you give them this product um, that's only good for adults. So just like, you know, like I said, alcohol and tobacco and, and even the gambling sites and stock trading and everything else. So let's let's put that in place for Pornhub. Uh, they should be required. I mean, at a minimum, there's, there's a bunch of things that could be done. But, but one thing is they, they could uh, require photo ID, credit card before accessing the site. It could be a member only site. You, know, you have to get a membership to the site and you have to provide this information. Other options that, that some that have been explored and, and suggested some places would be an opt-in thing where all of the porn sites are put at a .xx domain, .xxx domain rather than a .com domain. And uh, if you at your home want access to the porn domains, you have to call up your internet service provider and opt in, and uh, and then you get access to it. But if you don't do that, then you're, you're going to be cut off. You're not going to have that access, and that means kids won't have access either. So this is just a couple of ideas. These things could easily be done i don't mean maybe not easily politically but in terms of the practicality of it these things could be done um it's these are again the kinds of things we do to protect kids from other dangerous things and so uh, i i think we should do it here i don't i I haven't heard any compelling arguments against taking some kind of step to uh keep kids off these sites yeah i mean trying to stop sex trafficking and protect underage children, to me, is not, you know, a thing where you're taking away First Amendment rights. No, it's not. This is not First Amendment rights. This is not a First Amendment issue uh, whatsoever. So the First Amendment doesn't guarantee us absolute, unfettered access to hardcore porn everywhere we go. That's, 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 that's not what the, I, I really don't think that's what our founders had in mind with the First Amendment. 
That's not how it's ever been interpreted. Uh, whether or not pornography itself is a First Amendment right or free speech, I actually don't think it is. I don't think it is free speech. Uh, I think I'd I put it more in the line of prostitution. I think pornography is prostitution. It's sex for money. Um, I don't think I don't think prostitution is a First Amendment issue. So I don't think porn is either. But even if even if someone disagrees, we could argue about that. Um, that's not really the point here. The point here is, is, is just that we as a society, I think most of us agree that hardcore pornography is not suitable for 12-year-olds. And it's harmful for 12-year-olds to, to come in contact with it. And so uh, we could just put some filters in place to help protect those kids. And, and this is not in place of parents, because I, I think that also, of course, a, a big part of this is parenting. Parents have to be there to try yep. to keep their kids away from this stuff. But, um, you know, parents can't do everything, especially with how ubiquitous this stuff is. And on the fact, there's also some, some kids have parents that are that are not paying attention, that are recklessly irresponsible, and that's bad for the parents. But what do we say to those kids? Do we say to the kids, well, you're out of luck? You know, we, we, we're just going to throw you to the wolves. We're not going to put anything in place to protect you. I don't think that's the right thing to say as a society. I would agree with you wholeheartedly, Matt. I want to thank you for joining us today. Again, Matt's new book that he's got out, it's out on Regnery. Uh, Church of Cowards, a wake-up call to complacent Christians. I'd like to get you back on to talk specifically about your book as well, Matt. And this is an op-ed that he put out uh, a couple days ago. Pornhub exposes millions of kids to hardcore porn. They aren't required to verify ages. They should be. I'll get it up on my uh, Facebook page for you. It'll be there. And, Matt, thanks a lot. Let's get you on in the near future. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Okay, Matt Walsh here on the Dave Ellswick Show, the dailywire.com. That's where you'll find the articles that Matt writes, and uh, he's good. He's really good. We use him quite often here on the show. He, uh, he talks about some uh, very interesting things, to say the least. All right, uh, so yesterday the NBA announced they're canceling their season. And everybody's saying now that the NCAA should cancel the tournament. I think they're going overboard now. I really do. I think it's crazy. I mean, they're already they're already saying, "Hey, we're not going to let any fans be there. We're gonna it's going to be a just a television event." Uh, I got t- uh, Dr. Terry Yamauchi coming on here uh, in the next uh, segment, and we're going to specifically talk about this. Is there some problems? Mark Lauder will be with us right after the top of the hour. We'll talk to him about Biden and Bernie, speak about the primary with the Democrats. And then uh, Ed Monk's going to join us from Last Resort Firearms, and he'll be with us from the time he steps into the studio until 9 o'clock. That's all what's coming up in front of you here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. we got some news coming your way right now. we got to talk to you about that. But it just seems like, you know, I don't know about you. Let me let me get you to get to get in touch with me, Zach. Grab your headphones there just for a second. What do you think about this whole thing about canceling the entire NBA series uh, season? Maybe canceling the NCAA tournament. Do you think this is overkill? Well, I don't, I just think that they probably really don't have a certain plan right now in place. They really like I said. I think that this is just sudden that's so sudden to them and they really don't have a plan and therefore i think that you have the type of commissioner who 
would make such a move because I don't think that David Stern would have made this move. I but. don't think so either. I I don't think so either. I, this really worries me. This this concerns me. We're going to talk to Dr. Terry Yamauchi about it in a moment. We'll get him to bring us up on the latest uh, about what's going on. Uh, I kind of want to just kind of beat my head against the wall at times when they do some of this stuff. I, re- I really, really do. Colleges closing down their colleges. It's crazy. It's really crazy. And then I got another thing that I'll say that it, it brings. Here's your news. All right. So when we want to talk about infectious diseases, there's only one guy I go to. That's Dr. Terry Yamauchi. I asked him to come on today. I called him last night. It's about 8.30, I guess it was, that I called you. I was sitting watching the IU game. I know that's, you know. It was dark outside. It was dark outside. <laughs> so it was later in the evening because we've got uh, daylight savings time now. But the bottom line is he, he, he answers the phone. And when I call, he knows that typically it's I'm going to ask him to come on the air. And I I said, can you come on early tomorrow, about 6.30? And uh, he he paused. I will say he paused yesterday, but he said, I'll be there. So I appreciate you getting and up the, and, and, the doors and coming in. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> that's not me. That's a coronavirus. No, I'm just kidding. It's They they don't open the doors until 7 o'clock around here. They try to keep us safe, I guess, as far as I don't see anybody in this building until Seven thirty usually just us here in the radio stations that are that are here in the building. Anyway, now here's my whole thing about this. it. Closed down, the NBA is done. The Seattle Mariners are not going to play a game up in Seattle until probably uh, what May. And uh, the NCAA now sports writers are writing articles saying the pressure is on the NCAA now not to have their tournament, even if they're not going to let fans be there or whatever. Uh, the president says uh, you can't fly to Europe. Europeans can't fly here to the United States. And it's on and on and on. College is closing down. This is closing down. That's closing down. And I hear all of this, and I think to myself, what is the average person thinking right now? They're telling them, don't panic. Just go about your regular life. How, well, how can you go about your regular life if they're canceling your regular life? I mean, seriously. I mean, you're getting rid of sports and everything else. And I know this thought went through my head. What is it they're not telling us about this stuff? Is it worse than they're really telling us? Well, I think that's the, the big question. You know, we talked about this last week. Um <clears throat> We've been told, and so far the statistics that we have say it's like the flu, not not as bad as the flu as far as uh, morbidity, mortality. More contagious? It, that's the one of the questions that's been brought up. Maybe it is more contagious. Again, we don't have that the data to tell us that. Uh, the stuff that we get out of China – uh, is you know as you know it's kinda, I'm laughing as you can yeah, hear <laughs> it's kind of questionable and so um, I, I'm sure that we have a lot more asymptomatic disease or disease that people don't know they have and is that infectious uh, and I don't know the answer to that yeah I just saw an article today I forget <clears throat> I think it was AP and they said that the coronavirus can live up to three days 
on surfaces. That's what they're saying now. Well, Clorox and Lysol are going to do big business on their wipes, I guess, when all that, that kind of if, information is out. If you can find them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, if you can find them, that's for right, sure. Right, and we know, as far as infectious diseases know, uh, good old soap and water works just as well and maybe better at killing this virus. So uh, I'm sure that there's a huge market out there. Uh, I saw the other day somebody was trying to sell masks uh, for like 10 bucks. And, um, you know, uh, yeah. what what? And they don't do you any good. Let me. Let, I'm going to let the doctor talk about that. If, well, if you wear a mask, does it really stop you from getting the virus? Uh, no, no. Well, it, it limits it in that if you have it on your hands, and you're less likely to touch your face. Okay. You know, you because you got it there. But other people say, you know, if you got a mask on, your hands come to your face more often. I don't know what the answer to that. I know that people have done studies just watching people sitting in an auditorium and on the average they touch their face 10 times in a half hour and uh you know whether oh, we done, all do yeah and so you know the value of a mask for breathing uh is protecting you from breathing germs uh is really a fallacy okay so but you agree with what i'm saying the more they tell you to not panic and then turn around and shut everything down, it's going to heighten panic in well, people. Well, as I told you before, this is one of the first times that I've been aware of, you know, we've heard about germ warfare and how um, questionable development of germs for for killing people or bringing warfare uh, without destroying structure uh, uh, has been long out there. I would remind you, I thought of this after, remember when we first got HIV? Yes. And the first thing we said, or was was circulated, was it was a germ created by the Russians, to, and it was released up in Alaska, or, uh, you know, that's where we, and then we started looking more carefully and found that as a selected population. We still don't have a vaccine for HIV, correct? And that's how many years now? Yeah. Uh, and so... To get a vaccine for uh, coronavirus so quickly, I think Dr. Fauci is correct. You know, it's, he said a, a year to year and a half before we have one that's out there being used. We've got candidate vaccines out there right now, but they're not being used for, for this disease. Well, we've got antiviral medicines, though, that will help you. Maybe, maybe. Uh, there, we have experimental antiviral dis, uh, 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 drugs that have some some in vitro work being done and look promising. But you know, we don't have those studies that, again, that are required by the FDA to prove that they aren't harmful to people. They might work in animals. And they might work against the virus viruses in a petri dish, but we don't know what they're going to do in humans yet. Yeah, you know, I'm. I do these shows about coronavirus only when I see things happening that really worry me, and I'm not worried so much about the virus as I am to the reaction to the virus. I was watching Glenn Beck on Blaze TV yesterday, and O M G, 
I'm just telling you, he was reading this this Twitter uh, uh, feed, and it was supposedly some guy that was a doctor over in Italy, and it, it sounds like the apocalypse was happening over in Italy. They had 200% uh, you know, amount of people in the hospitals, and they were taking all of the different rooms that they did for uh, different things like uh, – uh, if you had to go in and get a pick line put in or whatever, they don't, they're not doing that now. They're just they're they're putting people in there for ITUs, intensive uh, treatment units, and things of that nature. And as I'm listening to it, it's not making sense to me because I'm thinking, okay, so I've heard how many people supposedly have been infected in in Italy, and I don't see how that can that amount of people can fill up all their hospitals. But that's what they're, this guy is saying. And I'm thinking, Glenn, you're, you're reading stuff that you're scaring the hell out of people, and there's no reason to do this. Well, you're I mean, worried. Yeah, that's I the mean, stuff that's... that worries me. That's no, to me, that's no different, Doc, than walking in a movie theater and going, fire! I'm yeah. just being honest with you. Well, I know that. I know that. And I know exactly what you're saying because that's, that's what's happening. Um, about oh, better than 90% of the people that have died are in that high risk category. Yeah. So, over. so if you have that, if you have a high risk and you get infected, then you you might have problems. Yes. But the vast, vast majority don't fall into that high risk, first of all, and get well. They don't, they don't have much in the way of symptoms. In fact, there may be, maybe most people don't have any symptoms. And we know that from influenza. You know, you can have influenza without being sick. Yeah. And so, you know, unless we get good hard data showing how many people really do die or need to be put on respirators and things like that, you know, I'm with you as, as let's be cautious. You know, I, I think it's good to take care and not, we don't want anybody to get sick, but, uh, I don't want people to even get the flu, but they don't. People don't do what's necessary not to get the flu. What makes everybody think they're going to do what's necessary not to get and the same COVID nineteen? Same people that are suffering or dying with flu virus are the ones that die with uh, COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen coronavirus. I'm sitting here. The doctor and I are not. 20 years old all right i'm just going to let you know we're not if you're looking on facebook and watching the show you know we're not here's the key i know there's a lot of stuff out there that i could catch that might kill me i'm not a young guy anymore i mean i that's just part of the deal with life it's the way it works you know but i don't want society to shut down in fact you're going to the movies i'm going to the movies tonight you, you <laughs> doggone right i gotta have my bucket of popcorn tonight <laughs> I'm going tonight to see Bloodshot with uh, Vin Diesel. Looking forward to it. Looks like a pretty good uh, movie. Looks like a a popcorn action movie. That's exactly what it looks like. Well, Dave, you know, uh, uh, people need to take the same precautions they would with flu. Wash your hands. Stay away from sick people. Uh, uh, to me, that's that's so plain. I mean, if somebody's sick, don't go around them. Yeah. If you're sick, don't go around other people. If you're elderly, 
I hate to use that word because I kind of fall into this place now. But the bottom line is, I, I, I told you the story about my grandson got sick uh, over Thanksgiving. And my daughter wanted to come to Thanksgiving. And I said, I love you, but you can't. Because I was going through what I'm going through right now. This has been a long, drawn-out process, this thing that's going on with this these infections that I've been getting. And uh, I didn't I didn't want him around. Last thing I need is another infection. So I just said, we'll send the plate over for you. <laughs> well, you know, people are asking me, you know, why, why aren't more children getting sick? But children are very effective spreaders because they don't have the same uh, uh, hygienic practices, That's perhaps. Right. And they're running around. They and eat the, your the, boogers. All right, come on. Let's be honest here. Well, you said it. Yeah, uh, I'm and, just making the point. And uh, as much as we try to teach them to wash their hands and, you know, do the uh, Yamauchi bump and uh, yeah. shaking hands and fist bumps, I told you before, I tried to teach the kids in grade school fist bumps, but they got overly ambitious with them. <laughs> And the fist bumps became harder Punchy. and harder. <laughs> yeah, so we went to, you know. The, the elbow bump. The elbow bump. Pun. That's how they ended the Indiana-Nebraska game last night. The two coaches touched elbows. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's, that's what that's they fine, should do. All right, we got 13 minutes left with the dock. we got to get a break in first, get your traffic to you. Uh, weather, rain after 1 p.m. today may as, get as much as a half an inch in some areas. High of 75, it's, uh, what is it, 54 right now at 12 minutes till 7. Uh, just so you know, to uh, have best practices with what universities and the NCAA and the NBA are doing and whatnot, I've got uh, my whole studio looks like something out of the, uh, you know, I don't know, the Andromeda strain. Come in here, we're pumping, you know, pure oxygen in here. You got to go through before you can come into the studio. There's a there's a long plastic tunnel with all kinds of ultraviolet r- light shining on you to kill any kind of germs or anything that you might have. No, that's not what's going on. I'm I'm surprised that they haven't demanded that we do that. It's just, it's just, I'm trying not to say that I'm really really ticked off about this but i'm really ticked off about this it's this is so much overkill it just amazes me it really does if you're elderly like i am look i'm i'm 67 okay so i'll say i'm elderly don't go out to i wouldn't go to the ncaa tournament to be honest with you i watch it on tv number one it's a better seat just to be honest with you and i don't have to pay eight dollars for a beer I go to my refrigerator and get a beer that's a whole lot cheaper. Oh, and you get replays? And- yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell you what. They don't play the NCAA tournament now for the fans in the, in the in the site. They play it for television. That's where the money's at. It's not on the ticket prices. Well, initially, LeBron said he wasn't going to play unless they had fans. Now he's going to play. Yeah. Well, if you want to get a paycheck, you got to play. But now he might not have to play. Now they've canceled the season, or I'm I'm thinking postponing the season. I got to believe the NBA will pick up their season. Well, I'm, I'm worried about the Olympics. Yeah, in Japan. Yeah, 
they're talking about now yesterday the uh the, the commissioner over the olympics or whatever yeah made the statement that they're still planning on having them you know so yeah i just doc i just gotta tell you people are this is overkill well <clears throat> if this is what we're going to do for the corona this uh, you know uh, covid19 then doggone it what are we going to do just about the common flu are we going to shut everything down for that now it's killing more people this stuff is well we know and you and i know this very well we're going to see a lot more disease in the next month yeah okay we're gonna see a lot more yeah it's gonna pop up yeah because number one we weren't testing as many people before now we're testing more people so we're gonna get more tests that are positive it has to happen um that doesn't mean they're going to be dying If if it happens in those susceptible high risk people yeah we will see more bad disease this has to happen but uh People are going to think, oh, my God, it's spreading like crazy, and that's because we're testing more people. And uh, No, we're just finding out more people have it, and they had it anyway. Right, right. That's correct. I believe that's very true. I mean, we're going from 100,000. I think they said when this started, they had 100,000 tests. They now have multiple millions of tests. And it doesn't mean everybody that shows that they've got COVID-19 is going to have to be, be hospitalized or anything like that. They're going to be told, go home, stay home. Don't go out. But, you know, we're a free society. Well, the problem, one of the problems is those people that test positive are those persons, obviously, that can spread it. And they might be healthy people, but they might spread it to me, to those of us that are, <laughs> you know, more susceptible or, or have a higher risk of having bad bad things happen so it's just the natural progression of more people getting the catching it or carrying it to give it to people that are more susceptible well we we know that covid19 its uh mortality rate is low for children and especially elementary school children yes yes i think they said they haven't had one death of anybody under the age of 10 well, I don't know about I don't know about that, but I don't, and I don't know why it is that children are are uh, less vulnerable, but uh, it appears that way. And as we speculated a week or two weeks ago, there are probably lots of people that have had or have this are carrying it around that aren't sick, and therefore, if you count those with those that have died against those that have died. It brings down the percentage. percentage way, way down. Absolutely. And so right now we have a higher percentage, even though it's lower than flu right now, uh, we have a higher percentage of death that people are advertising. And so um, as if we start counting those that are positive with no symptoms, you know, we're... And people say, well... <laughs> Why did this happen? Well, viruses do what viruses do. They mutate. Exactly. And they become new viruses. Right, right. And those new viruses may be different change in that they may become uh, more able to infect. And they may, be, may become more virulent, more able to cause bad disease. 
uh, we don't know all the ins and outs of those viruses yet. Well, I, like I said, <laughs> the Dave Ellswick show will not be like the Glenn Beck show. I'm not going to tell you that the apocalypse is upon us because I don't believe that it's upon us. Uh, I don't even believe that we're in the Spanish flu type of a situation uh, because, number one, communication is better than it was back in the nineteen early 1900s. So uh, doctors can share all their information almost instantaneously. We got all kinds of things that uh, tests and stuff that they didn't have back then. So I'm not. You know, I'm not overly no. worried. We have better hygiene. We have better treatment processes. We got respirators. We got medical people that know more about physiology. So, yeah, I think we're in much better stead uh, these days. All right. I'm going to have you back on probably next week. Are you, you ready to get up early again? If you open the door for me. Yeah. Well, you just got to let us know you're down there. We'll come down and get you in so you can come and join us. I appreciate you coming in early and talking to me today. But I just believe that they are they are ramping up the panic in this country with the things that they're doing. They're, it's overkill. Thank you. Dr. Terry Yamauchi here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's get to our news. And then we're going to talk to Mark Lauder. Ed Monk will be here. We've got a lot more for you yet during the Dave Ellswick Show. into the seven o'clock hour it's 54 degrees you're looking for a high day you ready for this ed did you hear what the high is going to be today 77 degrees gonna be raining though but better to be caught in a warm rain than a cold rain god forbid you'd catch covid19 i'm just look i'm i'm just wrought up about this whole thing canceling nba season and ncaa shutting down this and that and yeah don't panic though don't panic we're, we're changing life as you know it don't panic hi mark how are you good morning dave how are you <laughs> i i gotta ask you all right I, I, it would be remiss of me if i didn't ask you you're traveling around all the time are you afraid you're going to get sick and die uh no Thank you. Not, not even a little. <laughs> Thank you. See, you're a Hoosier. Hoosiers. I am a Hoosier now. We can, we yep. can, we can think, you know, straight. And I'm just saying, all this stuff. Everybody's telling everybody to, you know, stay calm, don't panic. And then the NBA says, "Well, we're going to cancel the season." And the Mariners say, "Well, we're not going to open our season uh, up on our home field because it's in Seattle." And the NCAA is saying now. Well, yeah, we're not going to let the fans in to watch the tournament. And now the sports writers are pushing them to cancel the tournament. This is insane. This is absolutely insane. 
Well, and the one thing I would say is that we, we have to make sure that we, we do allow for flexibility in those areas where we have cluster, what they call clusters, where we do have a cluster of outbreak in, uh, with coronavirus in areas like Seattle. Uh, New York, uh, parts of New York, parts of California, where they can take the actions necessary to be able to stop the spread. That's and and but when we're dealing with areas outside of that, the the fact is is that the risk to the average American remains low, even if for the overwhelming majority of Americans, even if you were to come in contact and and contract the coronavirus you're going to have flu-like symptoms and you're going to be okay you will recover yep Uh, that's why we're taking and the president is taking very strong action to to increase the standards increase the the preventive measures that are taking place primarily in senior care facilities nursing homes and such because they are at the most risk for not only contracting it but also succumbing to it and having the worst symptoms uh, but for the average American out there, do the, do the right thing. Do, do, do the normal precautions. Wash your hands regularly and continue to live your life. Yeah, a- absolutely. You said, you know, clusters. I'm thinking cluster, all right, but I'm thinking it from a military view. We've got a term we use that starts with cluster, and that some of this is starting to make me think of that word when, <laughs> when I look at this. But enough about that. I, I have you on to talk about this wonderful race between Biden uh, and and Bernie Sanders. And uh, Sanders got his clock cleaned again Tuesday night, but he's staying in the the race. He still thinks that he's got some kind of a pathway to win. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Clyburn came out just the other day on NPR and said, hey, we we need to shut down the primary and no more debates because we got to protect Biden from saying something stupid. I mean, did you? That's a paraphrase, but basically it's what he said. Does that surprise you that that, uh, a leading Dem would say such a thing? Well, no, not not even in the least, because, I mean, obviously every time Joe Biden opens up his mouth, he makes one mistake (laughs) or lie or misstatement after another. or can't remember basic facts. Uh, You know, I mean, the other day he couldn't even remember Barack Obama's name. Uh, but here's the thing on this race. And look, I, I wrote it, and there's an op-ed that I published uh, that was in Real Clear Politics yesterday. Oh, good. It looks like the Democrats have their candidate. But let's not make any mistake. They did not settle on Joe Biden. They settled for Joe Biden because he is the same bad candidate that he was three weeks ago when the Democratic establishment and the media were leaving him for politically dead. None of the factors have changed. He is still the same bad candidate that he was. Mm -hmm. The only difference is, is that once it became clear that Bloomberg, despite his billions, couldn't buy a clue or the nomination, (laughs) they reluctantly had to go back to Biden because he was the only way of stopping Bernie Sanders. Uh, And so that's what we see. They're now trying to protect him. They're now trying to hide him. And uh, but you can't do that forever. And I mean, if you can't even stand you know, for a two-hour debate with uh, with Bernie Sanders, how do you think you're going to hold up against Donald Trump come this fall? Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, this is about, you know, we'll settle for Biden because we just know we don't want Bernie. I mean, that's uh, the, the establishment doesn't want him. Uh, they didn't want him four years ago, and they did everything to keep him out uh, as well. well and the other— 
Dave, the other big story from Super uh, from yesterday, uh, from Tuesday, and from Super Tuesday is the remarkable, historic turnout for President Trump in yes. state after state. On Tuesday, Super Tuesday, even going back to New Hampshire, President Trump has set records for the number of votes that an incumbent president of either party has received when they've been running for re-election. I mean, he more than doubled in many places. He's more than doubled Barack Obama in 12, George W. Bush in 2004. He even doubled Ronald Reagan in 1984. That's and amazing. what that tells me is if you're willing to take time off of work, time away from your, from your family and your personal life, or shorten your lunch hour to go stand in line and vote in a primary that's already been decided, that tells you something about the amount of support and enthusiasm for this president. It is an amazing situation because you're right. This is historic record setting about for every, you know, incumbent president who's gone out and, and sought a second term. They've never had this turnout like this president has. And, you know, people are just going out showing we support him and, and nobody's paying attention to this, especially the Democrats. They are not paying attention to that because if they were, they wouldn't be fighting against every one of his policies. Well, there better be somebody paying attention to it because the freight train is about to hit them in November. Because <laughs> we haven't even—I mean, in many of these cases, we're just stretching our legs and 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 you know, basically, you know, turning on our get out the vote machine here, just you know, uh, just to make sure that our systems and our volunteers are fully activated, and engaged. And when we're setting record numbers in a campaign that doesn't even really exist, wait till we actually face a, an election that does matter in November, and we truly get out that vote uh, with everyone uh, uh, participating. It's going to be something historic, but we've got to keep fighting like we're one point down, which is what the president told me just recently. All right. We've got just uh, a few moments left with you. I'm going to let you go. Uh, What does Bernie do with this next uh, debate on Sunday? Does he, does he go full bore and attack Biden or does he just nibble around the edges? Well, I think he's probably just going to nibble around the edges. But what I would think that he's going to try to do is he's going to try to get Biden to commit to even more of his radical policies because he's already committed to most of them. Green New Deal, trillions of dollars in tax increases, free health care for illegal immigrants, all that kind of crazy nonsense. The more and more he can get Joe Biden to commit to even more of his radical policies to try to appease his revolutionary base the more he will alienate himself from middle America and from just moderate folks who like what's going on in the country right now. So I think that that's where Joe and and Bernie will truly try to debate about the policy side of it, and he'll try to get him on board with more of his radicalism, uh, even more so than he already has done. Mark, thanks for the time. Appreciate it, brother. We'll catch you down the road, no problem, all right? Absolutely. See you soon, Dave. All right, bye-bye now. Mark Lauder. From the RNC, good to talk to him. Best line of that interview, that Mike Bloomberg couldn't buy a clue. I love that. That was was really good. Nice job, Zing. I know Mark from the time that he was the uh, spokesman for uh, Mike Pence in Indiana. So he's... He's been around. He's he's done the circuit for a while now. So it's good to talk to him. I love talking to him. All right, that other voice you just heard, just very quietly in the background it's early day yeah i know it's early all right ed monk is here i'm gonna have him on you know he's a west point graduate what if your kid wants to go to the academy 
How do you do that? You know, what's it like? Well, we'll find out when we come back. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, time for your weather, time for your traffic. Uh, 54 degrees, going to a high today of 77. They're saying we're going to get some rain today, about a half an inch before it's all said and done. Tonight, showers and thunderstorms likely, then showers and possibly a thunderstorm after 1 a.m., a low around 52, and look for, uh, you know, a half an inch to three-quarters of an inch of rain possible in our area. We'll come back. We'll tell you what else is going on in the world, and Ed and I have good things to talk about when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, the answer and the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Here we go. Here we go. Ed Monk is here in the studio with me. Last resort firearms. And we're going to talk firearms before this show is over today, before 9 o'clock. But right now, I want to talk about the service academies. Air Force, Army, Navy. I think Coast Guard's got an academy, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Are the Marines? No. Uh, They're the Navy, they, right? They go to the Naval Academy, okay. and some a certain percentage go Marines, and a certain percentage go Navy. Okay, so bottom line, uh, the academies have a great educational opportunity for young people. How do you get into them? You know, uh, what's it like when you get there? And uh, Ed can talk about that because he's a West Point graduate. I mean, who put who put your letter in, made the mistake of sending a letter and saying you were all right? The uh, I got my nomination <laughs> from the 4th District Congressman at that time was Burl Anthony. Okay. And I don't even remember that name. Well, he got, shortly after that, he got kicked out. He was caught up in the uh, check scandal, check cashing oh, scandal of the post okay. office. Yeah. With Rostenkowski yeah, and those and I guys. think Jay Dickey replaced him. Oh, okay. Now, Jay, I know. Yeah. You know, he was a great guy. He, I'm sorry that he passed on. But uh, when I would show up at Republican events, I'd see Jay and we'd stand and talk. He used to come in the studio and he'd bring his, his hound dog in with him. <laughs> and that dog would lay next to his feet. And then the dog got to know me and he'd come and lay next to me. Well, acceptance. Yeah, yeah it was acceptance. He's a, he's a good dog. Anyway. So, but... And this is something we want everybody to understand. Just because your congressman or senator uh, says, you know, I'm going to give you a letter, says that you should be allowed to go to the academy, doesn't mean you're going to get into the academy and understand how prestigious this is because the uh, congressmen and senators can't put in very many names, can they? Now, understand everything I say is 35 years old so some of this could have changed but okay um when i went through every member of congress whether you were a, a member of the house of representatives or senate you got five you got five nominations okay uh and so each member of congress put puts five names in the hat from those names in the hat then the west point admissions office looks through and chooses so it's possible that a member of Congress could put in five names. All five get accepted by West Point. Could be, though, the next year he or she puts in five names, meaning the member of Congress, and none of them get selected. Um, so it's a two-step process. Get a member of Congress to nominate you because you're not going to get accepted by West Point without that. Then uh, the admission office looks at it and takes in. I mean, if you just do the math, five times 535 members of Congress, that's 2,675 nominations when when i went in uh 
it was about a little over between 14 and 1500 plebes first year cadets went in okay so that just, you know, by the math every <laughs> nomination cannot go in okay but you you have a chance yeah okay so if the your congressman or your senator put your name in uh what happens after that i mean do you have do you do you have an interview with the you know the school or or the academy or um, i did not i to get the nomination i uh burl anthony my congressman at that time his office announced we are holding interviews and you signed up and got scheduled and you went down to the office and the way he did it and the way i was told most of them do it is they're not there they 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 establish a panel five six people who interview all the people who want nominations yeah and people in the community and that way they're insulated from it and if your boy or girl doesn't get chosen he can say well you know you know I just took the recommendations of my board. And, I, rec- and, I did what I could do in yeah, this. I yeah. recommended them. Yeah. Um, so I went down. I don't know how many people he interviewed or his committee interviewed. And then I got told you got one of his five nominations. And you have to submit an application to West Point. You have to submit all this stuff. You, you have to pass. Uh, you have to take a physical fitness type test. At that time, it was called a PAT. And then you have to go get a physical, which includes dental, you know, an actual how how healthy are you. Okay. And that all has to get submitted because I remember when I got accepted by West Point, it was a conditional acceptance because I had a dental question pending. And it was like, you are accepted pending this dental issue being resolved. Wow. So, yeah. You had a cavity, huh? I had, had to get a root canal. A root canal. Okay. So they didn't want to pay for it. They Did you have to have it before you yep. could go? Yep. So their, want, their medical yeah. office had to approve it before it was an, uh, the uh, acceptance be, was not conditional anymore. Wow, that's in, that's that's interesting. So, what was the the uh, the PHE like? The physical aptitude test? test. I believe that's what it was. Uh, it was a shuttle run. You had to run back and forth and back and forth, and I forget the distance. Uh, and you were timed on it. There was a kneeling basketball throw, and I guess that was to measure upper body strength. You're on both on both knees, had a basketball. How far could you throw it? And then it, you didn't do chin ups, but you held yourself up, and it was how long you could hold yourself up. And I'm, I think there was a, a broad jump. You had to stand and then jump as far as you could. Jump. I think that's what the four were. For okay. That. So with that, they said, "Yeah, we think that you probably can do, you know, what you need to do." Yeah, and I don't know what the averages and the cutoffs were, but apparently I made the minimum. They didn't ask you to lift 50 pounds? No, not not then. Okay. I mean, Walmart does that. You think <laughs> if you're going to go in the military, that they'd ask you to lift 50, 50 pounds. UPS does that as well. But, uh, you know, there's just a lot more to this. So how long did it take you between the time that uh, your, your congressman – uh, gave you the thumbs up and uh, the time that the academy said well you know mr monk we're going to uh, let you come up here and see what you can do my best recollection it was about two months i my senior year in high school my my memory which is fading tells me around <laughs> february is when i found out i got the my congressman's nomination and okay. then and I, it was april when i got told i was accepted at the academy were you looking at any other schools at that time, or were you I had putting a, it all on the academy? No. I mean, that was the only military academy I applied to. I I had applied for an ROTC scholarship and had already got that. So that was my backup if I didn't get accepted to the academy. 
And what year was this? Uh, 1983. Okay. So uh, keep in mind that there's been a little time that has passed, but still I'm believing that most of this is still the same way that it probably was. Probably. You know, as far as that goes. How important is it if uh, there's a young person out there who's listening or a parent or a grandparent and they would like to see, I mean, I'm talking to my, my grandson right now about joining ROTC because you get an ROTC, the military will pay a lot of your uh, college costs, you know, and he wants to go to Texas Tech, which is not cheap. You know, he want, and he wants to be an engineer, which puts him right at the top of the list for all the academies because they're all looking for engineers. So, uh, you know, how, how difficult is, is that and how, how prestigious and important is that to a young person? Well, I don't know if I can address that directly. I, I would say to, to, to kids thinking about it, to young people thinking about it and their parents, um, the person has to want to be an officer in today's military. Okay. The, the academy is one of four methods to become an officer, a commissioned officer in today's military. So it, it was. It is always said, and I think I've met some people that make it make me believe that it's true that a lot of people that drop out in the process, they get up there and they get accepted, and then they drop out. Or people that go to the academy because it's not easy. It's not fun. For most people, uh, it's very challenging. But if you go up there for a different reason, because my dad went or my, my parents really wanted me to, or you wanted to do it for the prestige, if there is any, mm, there um, is. that quickly goes away uh, when for a lot of people when they have to put up with what they have to put up with. So I would say don't go to a military academy unless you want to become an officer. And so that is the method that you're going to use to become an officer. All right. We're going to talk more, Ed Monk, about this. You got, a, you got a kid that's thinking about it, pay attention. Here comes Rush. We'll let him have his time. Back with you, and uh, Ed Monk is here. We're looking at, uh, oh, 735, 25 till 8. Temperature right now, 54 degrees, going up to a high today of 77 degrees. I'm kind of liking it. It gets a little bit hotter than this. Uh, this respiratory disease will not be able to live. And so I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for it to get into the 80s <laughs> with 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 humidity because heat and humidity kills respiratory diseases. That's why you know the flu disappears by May for the most part because it starts getting hot and they can't survive. So I'll keep that keep that in mind and don't and seriously don't panic. Just know that the people at the top that are making a lot of these decisions think they're doing the best for you might not be, might be overreaction, but uh, they're, they're doing what they're doing because here's what's going to, here's what they're thinking in the back of their head, I can tell you. They're thinking, if I don't do this, and let's say there's an outbreak and three or four people come down with COVID-19, you know, I'm going to be an extra in the last scenes of Spartacus. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, because that's the way people react. That's what, well, why didn't you do this, right? You know, because hindsight's always twenty twenty. I thought the president did really well on his speech. I got that. We might play it if we have time. Uh, maybe the last 10 minutes of the show, we'll get it in so you can hear it. 
But right now, Ed Monk is here. We're talking about service academies. I think that, you know, whether you want to be an officer in the military, I mean, you shouldn't be worried about being an officer. It shouldn't be something that you feel like you don't want to do. But I will tell you this, the service academies will give your son or daughter an outstanding education, especially in things like, uh, you know, if you're going to go out and you want to build things and your math, if you're math relatable and things of that nature, I think service academies are some of the best places to go. I think it gives a very good, solid, rigorous education. Um, I tried to dig up my transcripts. I know I've got them somewhere, but I remember coming home after first semester plebe year, freshman year, and some of my friends from home saying, you know, I over, I, I took too many classes. I took 16 credits. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I had 22 and a half. <laughs> we had Saturday classes. Right. Uh, and small classes with the exception of one. All my classes were 12 to 15. So you couldn't just, you know, blend into this big auditorium. You had to be prepared for each class. And you could major in just about anything. You could major in literature, English, philosophy. But when I, when I went through, uh, I, I, I majored in history. But every cadet, no matter what you majored in, got a Bachelor of Science degree. That's what I'm saying. Because so much of the mandatory classes was math and engineering. Mm-hmm. Even though I majored in U.S. history, I have a Bachelor of Science degree. Yeah, you're not going to beat an enemy by knowing all the founding fathers of the revolution. What's that? I said you're not going to beat the uh, no uh, the, the the enemy knowing all the fathers of the uh, the revolution. No, it's it's. I mean, and in addition to the academics, going to class and getting the academics, you're getting uh, you're getting mandatory lectures, other mandatory training, physical fitness. Uh, Standard A. O'Connor, we, a lot of you know, pretty important people come there to lecture, to give lectures to cadets. So you get to inter- you know, hear and sometimes interact with some pretty important people. And it, like I said, a lot more self-discipline in the military than there is on the average college campus. And a lot more at West Point than in, the, in just the standard military. I mean, right. At least when I was there, it was a little overboard, but... Um, you know, you can become an officer and go through ROTC, which is about you. It's just one of the many subjects you're taking at a civilian college, and uh, about uh, over seventy percent, almost three quarters of the army officers produced every year, the lieutenants that are produced every year, come out of ROTC. So that's by far the majority. One thing I didn't understand when I went to the military, and I had a ROTC scholarship, I could have done that, and then I got the appointment to the academy. But one thing I didn't understand when I made my decision was and I think it's still the same way. Every single graduate of the military academy gets a regular Army commission. And most ROTC grads at that time got a reserve commission. And you had to actually compete and fight, to, if you're an ROTC grad, to get a regular Army commission. Oh, really? Yes. That, I, and that I, I did not I know. I didn't understand that either. If you're a West Point cadet, and again, this is 35 years old, but I, I'm pretty sure it's the same, you... You are, you are scholarship. You're fully paid. Correct. Uh, you're edu- you don't have to pay anything for classes, and you actually earn a salary because you are, in fact, active duty. From the time you swear in your first day there, you're active duty Army with the rank of cadet. And you're, you're paid, and I don't know how much they're paid now. When I was there in the, in the mid-'80s. You had a lot of money, didn't you? You were paid $480 <laughs> a month, $480 a month. But when you show up, all your books, all your uniforms, so – 
you actually, when you show up, you immediately go thousands of dollars into debt. They have, you have this cadet account, and you get this statement, and you're immediately thousands of dollars in debt because they charge you for your uniforms and your books and other things, and you spend almost your entire first year. They still give you a little How stipend. How about food? They charge you for that? Uh, I don't think so, but you have there's a, a dining facility. We call it a mess hall, and the food is excellent. Um, you get three meals a day, um, but you you get a stipend so you can buy toothpaste, you know, and other stuff. I right. think I think as a plea, but a freshman, I think we got like fifty or eighty dollars a month, you know, as we were gradually working our way out of debt. Yeah, the rest of it was going towards how much you owed. Yeah, how much you owed. But and then every year when you got books, because you had to have new books, you could not buy used books. Okay. So every year, even your you know sophomore freshman, every semester when you got new books issued for new classes you were taking, you saw your cadet account take a dive because you had to pay for all of your books. Okay. Anytime uh, they issued a new uniform or or a new item that you had to have, that that got taken out of your cadet account. Okay. So when you were at the school, did were you told today it's class A day, so you got to wear your class A's to to class. Yeah, during the academic year, during the day, it was called as for class. You had uh, gray flannel-looking trousers with black stripes down the side, and I guess you could call it a a gray. It looks like kind of like a dark navy shirt, and it was short sleeve in the summer months, long sleeve in the winter months. Um, Some years they've had a tie, some years they hadn't, and then you just add outer layers depending on the weather. They have a windbreaker. And then a short overcoat, and then a long overcoat. Yeah, so, yeah they, they tell still, you exactly what the uniform is. Do they still have that long wool overcoat? Oh yeah, that's the long overcoat. I'm just telling you, yeah. if you can get one of those, let me tell you what that is one of the warmest coats you can ever get yeah. your hands on. I think mine's on display at the Whitehall uh, Museum down in Whitehall. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then for dinner, uh, you go in dress uniform, which is and at that time in the summer is called white over gray. You wear the same gray dress pants you wear to class but then you wear a white shirt that's a summer and in the winter months it's dress gray which is the traditional if you ever seen an old west point movie of the gray tunic with the black collar and mm-hmm. the, that's dress gray and then for parades and other formal things full dress is the gray jacket with tails and the big brass buttons all over the place wow very cool that you have to pay you know an enormous amount of money for that's yeah, a gazillion dollars. useless completely useless when you leave did they give you just regular leather shoes or they give you corafams uh, when I went there, you got issued, and I still have both pair, believe it or not. You got issued two leather shoes, uh, and then you could buy Coraframs if you wanted to. Yeah, I, as soon as I found out about Coraframs, I bought Coraframs. <laughs> whole lot easier to pledge a pair uh, of uh, Coraframs than it is to sit with, get stains up to your knuckles, you know, using wax to rubbed into those uh, leather shoes to get the kind of shine that they wanted yeah but periodically when i was there they, they still designated i think it was once a week lunch formation there was at least once a week everyone had to wear leather shoes to be inspected you wanted to make sure your spit shine yeah. huh? and your your rooms inspected you know they're not dorms they're barracks and so your room is subject to inspection every day and heightened inspection on saturdays and you you to get into to, i assume it's the same way they're kind of looking for four things. They're looking for grades. Uh, you've got okay. to have high grades and a high SAT or ACT. And I just talked to a father of cadet yesterday, and he said they're they're basically if you don't have like a twenty eight ACT, you're you're wasting your time trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not all they're looking for. They're looking for physical fitness and sports activity that you played on some kind of either school sport or 
you know, Babe Ruth baseball or some kind of sporting event, you've shown some kind of leadership somewhere uh, in community involvement. So things they're looking for, did you play on any kind of sports team? And were you a captain or a co-captain? Are you in Boy Scouts? Are you an Eagle Scout? That's the kind of things they look for, the overall rounded. I remember when I was, I think, in 10th grade, there was a, a person at my high school who was valedictorian. This guy was super brilliant, smart. A lot of colleges were trying to recruit him. Super brilliant, smart guy. And, but he wanted to go to the Air Force Academy, and he assumed he had it. Uh, and they wouldn't accept him. And the reason was he he, he he had nothing outside of going to school and making good grades. He, he was no, a geek. Well, that he had no it. community, didn't play sports, uh, didn't volunteer, for you know, and that's what they're looking for. Yeah, that's interesting. Quarter until eight, we're talking about if your son or daughter would like to go to the academy, what are some things they should be thinking about? If they're a senior right now, it might be too late. But if they're a sophomore or junior, they can still do some sports activities and get out and work in the uh, uh, the community and things of that nature. All of that plays a, an integral part of being invited to come to one of the service academies, whether it's the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, or the Coast Guard. Quarter till 8, it's uh, 54 degrees. We'll take a break for you. High of 77 today, about a half an inch of rain this afternoon and overnight. So uh, do your uh, high school math. That means you have a full inch over the next 24 hours, and uh, it's going to be kind of damp, muddy, and yucky outside. But it'll be a warm rain, not a cold rain. A break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Ed Monk is with me until 9 o'clock. We're going to continue talking about service cameras. If you've got a question, 823 823- 0965 and he'll do his best to answer your question uh, for you. But right now, let's get on to uh, a break. And remember, Rush comes up at 11 a.m. All right, this is just breaking. The Players' Championship began as scheduled this morning with an autograph ban in place and the PGA Tour saying it continues to monitor the COVID-19 situation and plans to deliver another update by 11 o'clock our time. For now, spectators are being allowed at TPC Sawgrass, although it was a slow-arriving number of fans in the early morning hours as the first tee time was at 7.40. Announcing the autograph ban, the PGA Tour said that that policy will continue at all other PGA scheduled events. So if you want to get your golf ball signed by uh, Tiger, if he happens to be there, uh, yeah, good luck. Ain't going to happen. You know, catch him coming out of the locker room and walk up to him, watch his eyes get real big and say, hey, uh, don't get too close there. Six foot, man, six foot, stay away. You know, can you hand me, you know, that's those things you got now that you can use and you can pick up trash with. And, you know, so you don't have to bend over. Maybe if you had something like that holding the paper and the pen in it and tried to hold that and he could take it and then he could put it back in there so that you don't have to get too close to him. Just saying. Maybe you can send him a PDF and he can do it on the computer screen and <laughs> That's pretty, with his you finger. Know, you could have done that. Yeah, you could do that. Just make sure he dates it, okay? Yeah. You want to do that. That makes the autograph worth more if they're dated so people know when the autograph was given. All right, Ed Monk is our guest. We've got one more uh, segment to go with him. We've got nine minutes until eight. 
It's getting close to that time. If you got to be at work at 8 o'clock, keep that in mind. 54 degrees. High today, 77. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. First day of spring is Saturday, I believe. It's either Friday or Saturday. Tomorrow or Saturday, we'll have our first day of spring. means temperatures are going to start climbing, which means those respiratory diseases like the flu and uh, COVID-19 will start dying. They can't survive in warmer, humid weather. So hope that it gets hot quickly and we can get this taken care of be done with it what's an average what's a uh, a normal day remembering it back i know now i'm asking you to go way back in the way back machine but what was an average day for you ed and i want the station to pay for the therapy i'm gonna need flashbacks yes um okay so when i went uh, when you were a plebe, a freshman, breakfast was mandatory, but it wasn't mandatory for the upper three classes. After I left, they changed that to make it mandatory. I don't know what it is now. But if you had to go to breakfast, you probably up at about five, getting yourself ready, your room ready, and then you went down for breakfast formation. You know, everybody just didn't walk to the the dining facility. Did you the march cafeteria. to the dining yes, facility? Yes, you went out and stood okay. formation, gave accountability, and then you, that formation marched to the steps of the mess hall, and then you went up in. And this was the same for every meal. You went to your table and you stood there at your table until they gave the order to take seats. They And then about halfway through the meal, they'd stop attention to orders. Everybody stops what they're doing. And they would give announcements for the day. And then after that, they would they would release people by class, seniors, then juniors, then sophomore, because there's four, over 4,000 cadets eating all at the same time. And you ate at family tables. You ate at long wooden tables that sat 10. Okay. So you'd have two or three seniors, two or three juniors, two or three sophomores, and then two or three plebes. So you go to breakfast, and then you'd be released, and you go back to your room, get your books, and depending on, you'd have three to four classes a day, usually. So you just go to whatever classes, labs that you had to go through uh, throughout the day, and then there was lunch formation there in the middle that everybody had to be back for and go to lunch, and then there was dinner formation that everybody had to be back for. Classes ended, I'm guessing, around 4 or 4.30, and then dinner was probably at 6.30. So after class, uh, on Monday through Thursday, if you were a varsity sport person, you you played for the, a West Point team, you know, West Point baseball team, West Point football team, I, play, I was on the West Point rifle team, then you went and did that sport until just before dinner formation. If not, Two days a week, you drilled, which, you know, marching with rifles, that kind of thing. And two days a week, you played uh, uh, sports, just informally units against each other. Alpha Company played Bravo Company, and the sports differed throughout the year. You know, it'd be football in the fall. You'd have a choice of like three or four sports at any given time. And then on Friday, if you weren't uh, on a varsity sport, you usually Friday afternoons were parades for the public. So everyone would come, fill the bleachers, and watch the cute cadets in their uniforms march around in the grass unless the weather was too bad and they would march uh retreat and things of that nature yep and then after dinner formation you were free to do whatever studying schoolwork you had to do unless there was mandatory training and it might be a lecture down at the where every cadet had to go down it might be certain classes like only juniors only seniors uh, or it might be localized training where I mean, the military officers in your regiment or you or maybe your company would talk about 
military things or honor or ethics or that kind of thing. All right. Now, when you went to lunch, to breakfast, lunch, or dinner, did you eat square meals? You, you didn't eat square meals, but you ate decimal meals if you were a plebe, a freshman. Okay. So you got this long table. You got 10 people there. Usually the three at one end are the freshmen. They have to do duties. They have to serve or create, uh, make the drinks for everybody. They have to know what everybody likes. Uh, they have to serve the dessert. So they have all these duties they have to do at the table that, of course, you're going to screw up on every once in a while, which, of course, you're going to get disciplined for. So you're learning how to deal with adversity and that kind of thing. So it was, big picture. was it demerits? They have a demerit-based kind of thing? They, you did have demerits, but you had to get written up for something bigger than just little violations. But uh, another thing they did, and I don't know if they still do, is you know they would punish you, I guess, by not allowing you to eat. You know, you would make... They would ask you some trivia question or you would you would make a mistake in one of your duties and they would say, you know, sit there and think about that until I tell you, you know, to stop, which means you're not eating. Right. So there were many times where there was a full plate of food in front of me, sometimes a steak, and I just sat there and stared at it <laughs> until I got up and left. <laughs> oh, And then man. it was thrown in the trash. Yeah. When I got there, I was 212 pounds and in less than three weeks, I was 181. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, if you're not eating and you're also doing your physical, you know, workouts and things of that nature, you're going to lose some weight pretty Well, and you're up significantly 20 quickly. hours a day. When you first get there, I got there July 1st, 1983. The first six weeks, you're not in class. It's just the, the freshmen show up with a cadre of upperclassmen, and you're just... Running you here and running you there. Drawing equipment, learning a little, doing a little bit of basic military training, but learning how to be a cadet, learning the system, uh, and getting, uh, you know, the discipline. A lot of yes sirs and no sirs, yeah, they, yes ma'am, oh, no yeah. ma'am. They, they called it Beast Barracks when I was there, those six weeks. And that's... that's Be- beast, beast B-E-A-S-T, right? Yeah. And so you have physical training in the morning, and, and that's when a lot of the people drop out, was during the Beast Barracks. Like, I did not... You know, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah, I can understand. Some nineteen-year-old screaming in my face and spitting in my face because my shoelaces aren't exactly right or something. Interesting. Yep. And then, and that—that's the academic year. But then in the summer, there's mandatory uh, military training that you do. All right. We'll come back after uh, the news, and you know, I'll finish up my conversation about the service academies. If you have a grandson or a granddaughter or you had a son or a daughter and they're thinking about going uh, to one of the service academies or if you're listening and you're one of those young people that are thinking about going, here's the guy to talk to. He'll answer any of the questions you might have. 823-0965. That's the number. 823-0965. Ed Monk's with us. And next hour, we're going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about a very serious court case appeals court i do believe uh that happened uh here just recently and ed will fill us in on all of that plus there's some things coming up that he wants you to know about as far as getting some educational gun training uh that would help you as uh you know somebody who carries a firearm we'll be back with more here on the dave ellswick show 101 1 fm the answer 54 looking for 77 be back in a moment Dave. 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 
move into the last hour of the uh, Thursday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. J.R. Davis will be back next week, so we'll uh, do some heavy political talk in the first hour with him next week. But if you missed the first hour, uh, go back to our podcast at 101.1 FM, The Answer, on the Dave Ellswick Show, and listen to my interview with Matt Walsh from The Daily Caller uh, talking about Pornhub and who's got billions of hours of porn stored up, and it's wide open to any of your kids getting on it and watching it. It's uh, it's set up where they don't check to make sure that the uh, the women or the men that are being used in those videos are legal age. Uh, they don't find out if they're sex slaves or anything. They just put it out there, and they're making a gazillion dollars off that stuff. And I agree with Matt Walsh. We need need some more control over that, uh, and 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 to protect uh, young people uh, from that kind of. Because I want to tell you what, there's some nasty stuff on there, you know. And, and look, whatever blows up your dress or your trousers, I really don't care. However, uh, I don't think that young people should be able to get easy access to that. So go back and listen to that interview. It's pretty doggone good, to be honest. Matt Walsh, he's one of the main uh, columnists for the Daily Wire. That's Ben Shapiro's uh, website. And if you want to spend a few dollars, you know, spend, I don't know, what, $35 a year maybe, and uh, be me a member of their, uh, their, their site. I'm a member of a couple of sites, uh, I'm sports site. I'm on the, uh, the athletic. I pay $60 a year because their writing is so good on that website. Really, really like it. So, uh, and you can zero in, like you can tell them what's your favorite team and you can put like Cubs, Colts, uh, Razorbacks, uh, IU and things of that nature. And those stories pop up every day saying, Great story about spring football practice uh, yesterday about some of the new people that are coming in. I'm just telling you, it's great writing for uh, the athletic. Ed Monk's here. You know him. Last Resort Firearms. Uh, he teaches people how to use firearms correctly and in a, an efficient manner. It uh, can make the difference between life or death. And uh, we're going to get into some of that here in just a few moments. But I did want to finish. He's a West Point uh, graduate, and I look at that as a great honor, and and I look at, at Ed as uh, one of the best of the best <coughs> of the military, so it's always a pleasure to have him in the studio. Thanks, Dave, and it, kind of what started this between Dave and I is uh, tonight, I'm going to be the the old grad West Point rep at uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman's info night. Congressman right. Westerman, if you live in the 4th District and you're a parent uh, or a student, a young person who has any interest at all about going to any of the military academies, not just the best one, not just West Point, then you can go to his info night uh, on military academies tonight. There'll be a rep, I believe, from all the academies you can talk to, get information, ask questions. And it's at Hot Springs tonight, I think, from 6 to 8 o'clock. And, so, of course, he says the best is the you know Army. And, of course, I would tell you go to Colorado Springs and, and uh, 
go to the Air Force Academy. Yeah, if, if you do not want to go into the military, the, the Air Force is an option if you don't want to go into the military. That's kind of true. Yeah. Hey, I, they are the smartest. They're, they they send their officers off to do their that's fighting. That's what I always that, say. That's pretty bright. That's what I that's say. That's pretty bright. Because the Air Force sends their officers out. You've got to be an officer to be able to fly a plane. Yep. So send him off, salute him, and say, sir, you know, we'll, we'll be you here get to back, fuel, we'll we'll be here fill to fuel you if, if you make it back. <laughs> yeah. We'll be in the club until you make it back. Yeah, you land, and we'll, uh, we'll repair the bullet holes. <laughs> yep. I talked with a guy at a gun training facility up in Ohio for three years, and he was a retired Air Force uh, NCO, and that's what he would say. He goes, you know, when I got out of high school, I wanted to join the military. But I changed my mind, so I went to the Air Force Recruiting Center. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's a lot of people I know that are from uh, Little Rock Air Force Base, and uh, we salute you for the hard work that uh, you do as well. Now, that C-130, that's a workhorse, brother. And it gets it gets the people like Ed and, and his troops and his tanks and his artillery to the places they need to go as quickly as possible and you know now for the last pretty much for most young people can remember we've had air superiority everywhere yes we have but when you look back at world war ii oh no and army air corps before Mm -mm. we got the fighter planes that had the distance to protect our fighters all the way there and all the way back early in the second world war our fighters would take off and basically not long after they crossed the british channel it had to go back. To the fighters up. left. That's right. And the, these bombers were out there completely unprotected. And their the rate that they were shot down in the casualties is, most people don't know that, was absolutely staggering. high. Yes, it was. Yeah. You had to have some real intestinal fortitude, so to speak. <laughs> Going very slow in an aluminum tube. That's for right. For hours while German fighters were, were shooting you down. That. That I saw an interview incredible. yesterday. It was on Fox News. It was in the afternoon. They were interviewing a 99-year-old man who was an Army Air Corps fighter pilot. And he said, for World War II, they got 15 days of training. Then they were shipped overseas and sent up and got into dogfights and everything and had never fired a machine gun on a plane didn't know how it all worked or anything said you learned everything kind of fast but ojt and uh just tried to make sure you you got back yeah you learned or you died yeah that's exactly what happened and it was a it was really an interesting interview by the guy he couldn't remember how long he'd been married to his wife in the interview and, and she said it was 69 years. He goes, 16 years? Yeah, 16 years. <laughs> and then he looked back at the He says, oh, I'm sorry. She said 69 years. So you do the math. He was 99. So Incredible. he got married. Yeah, unbelievable. He's the last. He was the last Marine uh, fighting fighter pilot from World War II still alive. Wow. We're losing all those people now. If you, got, if you know anybody that fought in World War II... Try to sit down and talk to them. Sometimes they'll talk, sometimes they won't. But you can learn a lot uh, if you can get them to talk to you. So you're you're saying that if you have a child that's wanting to go into the military academy, this thing with Bruce Westerman would be the thing to come to tonight? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you just come, ask questions, no obligation, uh, and get uh, – they gave – West Point sent me brochures, propaganda to hand out. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. It's at the – sorry, I'm sorry. Arkansas School for Mathematics Service Services 
and the arts. Mathematics, sciences, and the arts. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Hugo Room Creative and Innovation Complex uh, in Hot Springs. And it's at 200 Whittington Avenue in Hot Springs. What's that address again? 200 Whittington Avenue in Hot Springs. Yeah, type that into your maps and you'll find your way there. Starts at what time? 6 to 8. 6 6 p.m. to 8 8 p.m. It probably will go a little bit later just because there's plenty of questions, I'm sure, from the young men and women who will be there. I'm interested to see how many show up. I've never, this is the first one I've done, how many show up. Um, And this Saturday, uh, which is, no, it's not tomorrow. This Saturday. Day uh, after tomorrow. West Point has, has, they were founded in March. So every year they have West Point Founders Day and all the graduates and some cadets from Arkansas from this area are going to meet this Saturday at a place that we do every year. Uh, It's kind of a cool thing. All right. Big dinner, huh? Yep. You still got your uniform that you get into? And reminiscing. Uh, Army officer uniform, yes. Cadet uniform, <laughs> no. And that's why it's at the Whitehall Museum. All right. All right. Let's, uh, we'll continue when we come back. Got to get our break in, get your traffic for you. And we're going to talk guns when we come back. Uh, important court case that just happened. I uh, want to talk to Ed about that. He's got some uh, ability for you to learn some important things about guns as far as training goes we want to share that with you as well it's about a quarter after we're looking at uh it's up to 56 degrees now and going up to a high of 77 look for a south southwest wind at about 5 to 15 and uh, some uh, rain today about a 40 percent chance of showers and thunderstorms but tonight it goes up where it's going to be like an 80 percent chance of rain New rainfall amounts between a half and three quarters of an inch are possible. Hey, do you plan on retiring in the next five years? Then you have to see the shocking new documentary, The Tax Train is Coming. Some of the most respected economists and tax experts will reveal to you the hidden truth about why your taxes could double in retirement. You don't want to miss a free one-time screening of this film on Thursday, April 2nd. It's happening here in Little Rock. It's hosted by David Lucas Financial. If you've saved more than $500,000, be one of the first 10 callers to get your free ticket right now. You just call 501-222-3315. What you learn in this groundbreaking film could have serious consequences for your retirement get your free ticket now by calling 501-222-3315 that's 501-222-3315 and remember investment advisory services are offered through david lucas financial and arkansas registered investment advisor okay important court case the other day uh, happened here in arkansas this is really important so if you're a, a gun owner, you're going to buy a gun and uh, be a gun owner, then you need to really listen up. Ed's going to explain the court case to you right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, I am not an attorney, don't want to be an attorney, and all I know about this case is from reading the actual decision. Yeah, so, the, the court case itself, the uh, legal aspects of it, we'll talk about it tomorrow uh, because Robert Steinbach will be on. Ah, cool. So he, he joins us every Friday. So he can he can take all the legal beagle questions tomorrow. It's uh 
Petrie versus State is uh, the name of the court case. Uh, here's what I understand. the Mr. Petrie was intoxicated, drunk, at a bar, probably misbehaving, got told to leave, kicked out by the establishment, and on his way out broke a door uh, off its hinges, so did some damages, but did leave. And then police confronted him sometime a few minutes later after he had left this bar. And while the police stopped him, detained him, uh, Mr. Petrie fully cooperated, uh, according to the the police statements. Uh, But they say he moved his hand towards his side, moved his hand during the, the detaining of the cops stopping him and talking to him. He moved his hand towards his side. And they asked him, did he have any weapons? And he voluntarily said, yes, I've got a pistol in my pocket. They reached in his pocket and pulled out a pistol. So I don't know what else they charged him with, but they charged him with the misdemeanor of carrying a prohibited weapon or carrying a weapon. And my understanding before Act 746, all that had to be proven to convict you of carrying a weapon was that you were in possession of a handgun or any of the other weapons that uh, it applies to. With some exceptions, if, you know, unless you had a concealed carry, unless you were hunting in accordance with regulations, unless you were in a competition, there there are some exceptions. But if you didn't fit an exception, all they had to prove to convict you of the misdemeanor of carrying a weapon was that you were in possession of a weapon. So, but Act 746 added an element. Now, not only does there have to be evidence that you were in possession of the weapon, but also, in addition to that, there has to be proof that you had intent to use it illegally as a weapon against another person. Well, they charged him with carrying a prohibited weapon because they found the pistol in his pocket. And what I read in the court case was the the state's claim was, well, because he moved his hand toward his side, his pistol was in his pocket, he moved his hand toward his side, so that was that was proof he was going to use the gun against the officers, use the gun illegally. Uh, and the court didn't buy that. And and again, I wasn't there. I just know what I read in the court case, which included the officer statements. Our hands naturally rest at our side. So moving your hands towards where they naturally rest uh, is not in itself an aggressive motion. And what backs that up is they the cops did not claim to use any kind of physical force against him or draw a weapon. They did not charge him with assault on a police officer, which you would think you would charge someone with if they were trying to use a gun against a police officer. And they didn't even charge him with resisting arrest. They said he completely complied, cooperated, answered our questions, and submitted to the arrest. But that was their claim. Well, he's guilty of carrying a weapon because the fact that he moved his hand towards his side, he was attempting to use the gun against officers, which is illegal. And the court didn't buy that. And they said, so that you, you didn't meet your burden of proving he was trying to use the gun illegally as a weapon. And so just mere possession of it is not a crime unless you can also prove he was using it as legally as a weapon. Okay, so let's go back to uh, the law. 746 yep. says that you have the right to carry a weapon on your person as long as you're not carrying it to do harm. Is that correct? Well, to, is that to, I kind of say the way to put it? It, they, it doesn't say you can. Um, the law doesn't tell you what you can do. It says what you can't do by making a criminal offense. That's my understanding. Again, I'm not an attorney. So so to make a crime, there's elements. You, to be found guilty, to be arrested, charged, convicted of this crime, these are the things that have to be proven. And basically there's two, that you are in possession of a gun or some other weapons, but let's just call it a handgun. You're in possession of a gun and you had intent to use it illegally as a weapon. 
Okay, so let me take get your opinion on this. And again, remember, Robert Steinbach will be on tomorrow. He'll get into the whole legality of this because I'm just telling you, when lawyers get together and they start talking, what seems to be commonsensical uh, can be not considered by them <laughs> as being commonsensical. That legally you can carry a, a gun without a license. I mean, that's what the Second Amendment says yep. uh, in the state of Arkansas. Is that not what you think that the uh, the legislature, the legislators were trying to get at? I think there is no criminal penalty to be in a possession of a handgun unless you are a prohibited person or you're in a prohibited place. Okay. And when people say, no, that's not true, you have to have a license, I say, well, if I'm carrying a gun in a, in a place that's not prohibited, if I'm carrying a handgun and I don't have a license, show me the crime that I'm violating. Show me the, the crime, the statute that I'm mm-hmm. violating. I can't find it, and no one else has been able to find it. But they'll have stuff like this. Well, he moved his hand towards his side, So, and I believe we had a case in Mountain Home where the officer said, well, but I, I confiscated his gun, and I checked it and had a round in the chamber. So, But the fact that he was carrying a gun with a round in the chamber told me that he had intent to use it illegally. Mm. And I thought, well, every cop carries one with a round in the chamber. That's I hope right. every cop is not intending to use their gun illegally against – it was just – they're grasping at straws instead of just applying the law the way it should be applied. And so we had the case. I, be, I could be wrong. I believe it was the name of the case was Pratt, um, where the court said something to the effect of the law is quite clear that possession of a handgun is not in and of itself a crime unless you're now a prohibited this, person in a prohibited place. Now, this is up one step from a, law, uh, a court case we had a few months ago that basically dealt with carrying a firearm and it being legal to have a firearm on you as long as you weren't doing something illegal. Here you got a situation now it's in the appellate court level, which means it carries even more weight. Well, Pratt, if, if I think I have that name right, it's in my head. Pratt was also a court of appeals. So we have two court of appeals cases, if I'm correct. Okay. And Pratt was carrying openly, not concealed. Okay. So- Pet- Petrie was a pistol in the pocket concealed. So we have two appeal court cases, I believe, that say, you know, you you can charge him with uh, criminal mischief for tearing the door off. You can charge him with public intoxication. You can charge him with, you know, disturbing the peace problem. But you but you cannot charge him with carrying a weapon because you have not proven, which is your burden, the state, you have not proven he had intent to use it illegally as a weapon. So the mere possession of it is not a crime. All right. So there you have it. It's important to know. However... There's ways of getting insurance when you carry a gun. I would suggest that you get that insurance to help you defray any kind of legal expenses because the police, in many cases, are not open to that interpretation. That's correct. That's that's what we tell people. And people, okay, I make I money. Ten seconds. I make money off of uh, training for the license, uh, but we tell people you don't know what cop, trooper, constable deputy you're going to come across that doesn't know the law or doesn't like it you know i've been talking about pi roofing for a long time and i've been talking about their roofing services because their roofing services are uh, the best bar none they do a fantastic job they've done my roof uh i had a hailstorm just several years ago and they uh, came out walked the roof looked saw the problems got with my insurance took care of it all i had to do is pay uh little bit of money up front cover my deductible 
and then they took care of the rest and i mean they took care of the rest it uh, is in great shape roof still in great shape uh from the folks and the professionals of pi roofing but here's what else pi roofing does let's say you um, you have something happen because of a storm let's say a tree branch goes through the roof and uh you know it's just raining like hades or whatever so that water's coming into your house well you know, you go to piroofing.com, you send them an email, they send one back, they tell you they're coming out, they get out there, they tarp it up, and they stop the water. But, you know, it could be hours, to be honest with you, that it, it takes to get that tarp on. Well, during that time, water's coming in your house. And that means it gets down between the drywall and your in your walls, it gets through your insulation it gets through the drywall and the ceiling you get discoloration get a lot of problems at that point maybe you need to replace some of that drywall well that's hard to get done sometimes by uh, you know folks that do that kind of work because they want a bigger job than just coming in and fixing the roof in your in perhaps your your bedroom so you you get a hold of pi roofing they come out they look at it and they've got people that they're going to do those jobs for you. And they charge you a very reasonable price to get it done. It's another reason why PI Roofing is, you know, your roof leak detectives and they're your one-stop shop to take care of the damage that the weather can uh, do to your home. Remember, your roof is your last, your last protective layer against the weather. When the weather breaches your roof, it has access to the inside of your home, your furnishings, your clothing, everything that you have. Well, now PI Roofing has a way to make sure that they can fix the damage that that water can do. To find out more, to uh, ask them for their services, just go to their website. That's piroofing.com, piroofing.com. All right, Ed monk here with us you got uh, some other things that are coming up here in the future uh, we talked about you're going to be out with westerman tonight there in hot springs at the math and science uh, school talking about uh, going to the service academies because that's what you did when you were coming out of high school but you also have a special guest that's coming into the area that's going to have a, a really important program for folks yeah, it's uh, Dr. William April. I first uh, heard Dr. William April talk in a tactical conference in 2014 in Memphis, and he just blew me away, just fascinated and scared me. Uh, Dr. April's a psychologist, and a lot of his career has been dealing with violent criminals, uh, interviewing them, evaluating them. Are you competent to stand trial or not? And then the penalty phase, are you rehabilitatable? What was your motivation? How likely are you to reoffend? So he uses his formal education as a psychologist and then his experience actually interacting with these people. And his presentation is called Unthinkable. And he gives it all over the country to try to help people who do not enter, well, people that do interact with these people. It's, it's, I think it's vitally critical for police officers, people that work in courts, prisons, and jails who have to go out and seek out these people and interact with them on a daily basis. But then also the average American who has not dealt with these people. I think a lot of people have a, a misconception that, you know, criminals are just good people that make bad decisions. 
And if a 14-year-old <laughs> makes a split decision to shoplift, that could be a good kid that made a bad decision. But the person that will put a knife in your throat to take your purse, the person that will shoot you to take your car in the parking lot, these are not good people. They're, they're predators. They're violent criminals. And Dr. April's presentation on the 30th of May, we are hosting him at the Whitehall Community Center. Uh, we, we were going to do it at our training facility at Last Resort Farms Training, but we, our classroom is relatively small, and we got such good feedback on this, we moved it to the Whitehall Community Center. Uh, it's going to be on Saturday, May 30th from 8.30 a.m. to about 5 p.m. And Dr. April will, in layman's terms, he explains it to where even I can understand it, of how are these violent predator criminals made the, some are wired at the factory that way, and some are socialized and created that way over time. How do they think? And, you know, I'm not going to give away his presentation, but the thing is they don't think like you do. And a, pro- a problem he'll talk about is the projection. You you think because they, they have a humanoid appearance that they think like you do, and they don't. That's why they're violent criminals. How they select their victims, and that's vitally important for us as people who go about our daily lives in public is to know how these violent criminals select who they select. And he, he, he spends a lot of time on that, and it's fascinating because they've done a lot of studies on this. Um, and then how we can use this, our, our knowledge of the violent predators that are out there all the time, to, if, if at all possible, avoid contact with them. And if we just can't avoid it because they're going to press the contact, how we can manage the contact with these people, better understanding how they see life, how they see us. And what their motivations are. And it, it, I tell you, it scares me. I've heard him, heard him in 2014, and I have I've heard him at two other training events that I've paid to go to. I'll seek him out every time because, again, it's just absolutely fascinating. And I knew when I heard him the first time that I wanted to host him. It's just taken several years to line his calendar and our calendar up. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. We will sell out. Uh, it's limited seating, so it is on Eventbrite. You can probably just search for Unthinkable. That is the name of his seminar. And I highly encourage it. I think it's a must for cops and, and people that work in prisons and jails. But anybody uh, that goes about in public to better understand these people, uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing. You've really, you really enjoyed it. That's like when I, I think it's Peterson is his last name. He's the guy who did all of the interviews of the serial killers and, and things of that nature. And he had an event uh, when I wasn't here in Little Rock. I think it was in Indianapolis, and I went to hear what he had to say. Really eye-opening. You're dealing with a totally different animal yep. when you're dealing with those people. And, they don't. Yep. They look. They don't look at you the way you look exactly. at another person. They look at you as somebody. To they look at you as food. Just so to the speak. same way that a bobcat looks at a squirrel. They are out there, and periodically they're going to select a victim and they're going to attack we would never do that most of us you know so many good people think i would never be violent or it's an absolutely last resort violence is just their tool you chose to go into radio broadcasting you know i chose to go in the military yeah and now training they chose to go into violence violent criminal activity is how they make a living um it's and it's it's scary when you hear him talk about his interviews with them and how they think and how they don't have empathy and they don't really have a conscience yeah, there's yeah. a Mine Hunters is on uh, Netflix, and it's about him and and his partner that he worked with. Now, you don't hear as much about the partner as you hear about him. He's also the gentleman who came here about the um, the Memphis uh, three four. I can't remember the guys that they put him in jail. 
for killing the young boy over there. With the four teens wrongfully yeah, convicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and proved that they were the ones that didn't do it. And he looked at the evidence and said, question, 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 question. He just asked so many questions that uh, the whole case fell apart of them, and that's why they're out of prison now. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie Silence of the Lambs, his character is portrayed in that movie, the, the guy who's working with Clarice from the FBI. So it, he's a real he's a real person. I'm I'm trying uh, to think. I think his book is called They May Be Monsters. Yep. And it's an eye opening read. It really is. They're 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 screwed up in the head. I'm just telling you. I mean, he talks he, he talks about Bundy and he talks about Manson and he talks about all of them. It's kind of a I just to let you know, it's not a lighthearted read. It's not a tiptoe through the tulips kind of thing. Yeah. Dr. April will go into the, the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. And one that always just makes the hair stand up back of my neck. He actually interviewed a guy who, who had been a very successful burglar. He burglarized homes that no one was in. That was his what he did. And right. he, he thought that this home also had nobody in it. He went in, he burglarized it, and he was about to leave, and he heard a noise, this is the criminal, and he turned around, and the, the man of the house was there sleeping on the couch. He, he thought it was unoccupied, but made a mistake. And so instead of just sneaking out, which he could have done and had another successful burglary, he took a big kitchen knife and skinned the guy alive, tortured him. Skinned and him skinned alive. Him in, 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 a, in a famous way that the Romans used to get to make it one piece of skin. Wow. Uh, that he'd always, he'd read about. And he'd always wanted to do Did that. Did he take it with him? And yeah, well, he got caught. That's why he got caught because he took so much time to do that. Right. That the family came home and caught. But he's William says I'm sitting across the table from him and I ask him, why, you know, why you you had a successful burglary, another successful burglary? Why did you stop and 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 kill this man for no reason? And he said the guy just kind of looked at him and said, "Well, I thought I had enough time." Wow. Like you would say for why did you go get another cup of coffee? Well, I. I had, I, had a, I had a few to, minutes. I had a yeah. few minutes. I thought it, it just, that's. It they, sounded like a good thing to do. No remorse. Yeah. At all. Amazing. Yep. All right. It's quarter till. Ed's going to be with us for a few more moments. At 10 till, I'm going to play the president's speech from last night. So if you didn't get to hear it, give you a chance to hear it here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's uh, time to take a break. 56 degrees, 77 uh, for a high today. Rush Limbaugh up at 11. Gallagher's coming up next. I'll be right back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, I've only got about a minute and a half. I'm going to turn it over to to Ed, and he's going to be over the Bowen School of Law. Go. Yeah, I have two active shooter presentations coming up, both open to the public, both free to attend. One is next Thursday, March 19th, at uh, Zion Lutheran Church in Alexander. And then I'm doing a a three-hour presentation at the Bowen Law School here in Little Rock on assuming the virus doesn't stop activities at bowen law school on april 2nd which is thursday 6 to 9 p.m at bowen law school it'll be about a three-hour presentation on the active shooter threat we'll look at uh, probably 10 to 15 different active shooter attacks we'll take from that trends and data so we can see what has worked and what hasn't worked and give recommendations to individuals and organizations for how to prepare to save the most lives if you find yourself individually or your organization as the the target or the victim of an active shooter attack. Uh, it's an adult presentation. It is ugly. It's about people trying to kill a lot of people. So make sure you understand that when you show up. Okay. And this is going to be what day again? 
Uh, the one at Bowen Law School will be Thursday, April 2nd, two weeks from tonight, I believe. Okay. Thursday, April 2nd, uh, 6 p.m. All right. So keep that in mind. I'll mention that to Robert tomorrow. He may have some uh, extra information to add, add to it. Ed, thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure to have you in the studio. I'm Dave Ellswick here on the Dave Ellswick Show. News is at the top of the hour, but right now, let's hear what the president had to say to the nation. My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. We have been in frequent contact with our allies, and we are marshalling the full power of the federal government and the private sector to protect the American people. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. From the beginning of time, nations and people have faced unforeseen challenges, including large-scale and very dangerous health threats. This is the way it always was and always will be. It only matters how you respond, and we are responding with great speed and professionalism. Our team is the best anywhere in the world. At the very start of the outbreak, we instituted sweeping travel restrictions on China and put in place the first federally mandated quarantine in over 50 years. We declared a public health emergency and issued the highest level of travel warning on other countries as the virus spread its horrible infection. And taking early, intense action, we have seen dramatically fewer cases of the virus in the United States than are now present in Europe. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. After consulting with our top government health professionals, I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. These restrictions will be adjusted subject to conditions on the ground. There will be exemptions for Americans who have undergone appropriate and these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Anything coming from Europe to the United States is what we are discussing. These restrictions will also not apply to the United Kingdom. At the same time, we are monitoring the situation in China and the South Korea. And as their situation improves, we will reevaluate the restrictions and warnings that are currently in place for a possible early opening. Earlier this week, I met with the leaders of health insurance industry who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments, extend insurance coverage to these treatments, and to prevent surprise medical billing. 
We are cutting massive amounts of red tape to make antiviral therapies available in record time. These treatments will significantly reduce the impact and reach of the virus. Additionally, last week I signed into law an $8.3 billion funding bill to help CDC and other government agencies fight the virus and support vaccines, treatments, and distribution of medical supplies. Testing and testing capabilities are expanding rapidly day by day. We are moving very quickly. The vast majority of Americans, the risk is very, very low. Young and healthy people can expect to recover fully and quickly if they should get the virus. The highest risk is for elderly population with underlying health conditions. The elderly population must be very, very careful. In particular, we are strongly advising that nursing homes for the elderly suspend all medically unnecessary visits. In general, older Americans should also avoid non-essential travel in crowded areas. My administration is coordinating directly with communities with largest outbreaks, and we have issued guidance on school closures, social distancing, and reducing large gatherings. Smart action today will prevent the spread of the virus tomorrow. Every community faces different risks, and it is critical for you to follow the guidelines of your local officials who are working closely with our federal health experts, and they are the best. For all Americans, it is essential that everyone take extra precautions and practice good hygiene. Each of us has a role to play in defeating this virus. Wash your hands, clean often used surfaces, cover your face and mouth if you sneeze or cough, and most of all, if you are sick or not feeling well, stay home. To ensure that working Americans impacted by the virus can stay home without fear of financial hardship, I will soon be taking emergency action, which is unprecedented, to provide financial relief. This will be targeted for workers who are ill, quarantined, or caring for others due to coronavirus. I will be asking Congress to take legislative action to extend this relief. Because of the economic policies that we have put into place over the last three years, we have the greatest economy anywhere in the world by far. Our banks and financial institutions are fully capitalized and incredibly strong. Our unemployment is at a historic low. This vast economic prosperity gives us flexibility, reserves, and resources to handle any threat that comes our way. This is not a financial crisis. This is just a temporary moment of time that we will overcome together as a nation and as a world. However, to provide extra support for American workers, families, and businesses, tonight I am announcing the following additional actions. I am instructing the Small Business Administration to exercise available authority to provide capital and liquidity to firms affected by the coronavirus. Effective immediately, the SBA will begin providing economic loans in affected states and territories. These low-interest loans will help small businesses overcome temporary economic disruptions caused by the virus. To this end, I am asking Congress to increase funding for this program by an additional $50 billion. Using emergency authority, 
I will be instructing the Treasury Department to defer tax payments without interest or penalties for certain individuals and businesses negatively impacted. This action will provide more than $200 billion of additional liquidity to the economy. Finally, I am calling on Congress to provide Americans with immediate payroll tax relief. Hopefully, they will consider this very strongly. We are at a critical time in the fight against the virus. We made a life-saving move with early action on China. Now we must take the same action with Europe. We will not delay. I will never hesitate to take any necessary steps to protect the lives, health, and safety of the American people. I will always put the well-being of America first. If we are vigilant and we can reduce the chance of infection, which we will, we will significantly impede the transmission of the virus. The, the virus will not have a chance against us. No nation is more prepared or more resilient than the United States. We have the best economy, the most advanced health care, and the most talented doctors, scientists, and researchers anywhere in the world. We are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship, and unify together as one nation and one family. As history has proven time and time again, Americans always rise to the challenge and overcome adversity. Our future remains brighter than anyone can imagine. Acting with compassion and love, we will heal the sick, care for those in need, help our fellow citizens, and emerge from this challenge stronger and more unified than ever before. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you.